Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out, Lord. Let's go. Thank you, Josh. Uh, first, I, I, when I came in this morning, I saw these great TVs, and I thought, oh my goodness, my eyesight has improved. And then uh, Pastor Eric said, uh, no, Rick, we bought high-definition TVs, so it's not your eyesight. But uh, I'd just like to acknowledge that uh, these TVs look great, and what a blessing from God. So thank you, Lord, and thank you for Eric for uh, securing these two TVs for us. Um, for those of you who might be new to uh, Christian Layman Church, we have three real values that we hold true to our heart. And those three values are love God, love others, and to serve the world. Yes. And so uh, for this Thanksgiving, I'm just really just thankful 
and that we also have the blessing uh, to bless others and to love others. And uh, just the gratitude that we have, that we have the opportunity and that we've given so much provision that we can also serve others and, and serve the world. So that's what I'm going to hold uh, in my heart for, for Thanksgiving this year. So uh, thank you. Uh, we've got three announcements uh, today. And uh, the first is after service today, we're going to have lunch with uh, Nicole Lim. Nicole is the founder of Freely Hope, which is a ministry that prevents uh, women and uh, abuse for women uh, through holistic training and, and education um, in leadership development and storytelling. So she's uh, what she's a young lady who actually founded this ministry, and she's been doing this for a number of years. And she actually goes to Africa and does this ministry. But one of the things that's interesting about Nicole is that. Several years ago, um, I read a couple books by a kind of a theologian uh, and a Franciscan uh, priest named Richard Rohr, and he's written a couple books. One's called Falling Upward, and then he wrote another book on uh, the Enneagram, which is a personality test, and he wrote a Christian perspective on it. So I was reading through this book, and I was going through, and you know how it, at the beginning of every book they have like uh, attribution and, and endorsement. And I flipped to the front of this book on the Enneagram, and one of the endorsers was Nicole Lim from Fairly Hope. And I thought, here is a nationally recognized author, author who is well-respected in the Christian community. And he asked Nicole to give an endorsement for this book. So what is it about Nicole that she has something so important to say that a nationally recognized author would want her to get a chance to find out today if you join us for lunch after, after service today. So I hope that you can do that. Uh, our second announcement is uh, we're going to have a Thanksgiving uh, worship service and a brunch on the 27th, so that's next, next Sunday. But here's the deal with it, is that uh, we're going to have the brunch before at 10 a.m. So you snooze, you lose, so come early at 10 a.m., and uh, Pastor Ben, I know you're preaching that day. Be forewarned, when you're preaching, if you find people snoozing, it might be a tryptophan-induced nap from from the from the great brunch that we're going to have because we always have great brunches. Uh, so be sure to arrive early. Okay, and then our third announcement is that we're going to have our December prayer breakfast. That's going to be on Saturday, December third at nine thirty. So the important thing is that you um, RSVP by November 27th, and on that day, or on that Saturday, we're going to be uh, praying for uh, all your loved ones, the family, your friends, and people that are in your community, just to know uh, Jesus as, as our Savior, especially during, during this time. So uh, we hope that you can do that, and uh, please RSVP on the 27th. Okay, so um, I know that Usually I always weave a pun in to some of my announcements, and, you know, Caitlin actually asked me, you know, Rick, it's, it's Thanksgiving, can you kind of withhold your puns, uh, you know, especially Thanksgiving puns, because it's Thanksgiving, I said, really? I said, okay, but you really want me to stop cold turkey? Okay, so, 
Uh, at this time, I'd like to uh, invite the children to, to join their classes and the youth who are going to be staying in service today. And uh, I'd like to, at this time to invite Colin to come up and uh, introduce our speaker. So Colin's uh, one of the directors of uh, InterVarsity and he's a member of the board. Colin? Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Good morning. I get to introduce uh, our speaker this morning, uh, Reverend Phil Bowling dyer uh, 20, 22 years ago, when I uh, moved from Boston to the East Bay, uh, the Lord used Phil and his wife, Leslie, to be a part of the welcoming crew uh, in the University family to welcome both Priscilla and I to this community been a rich friendship ever since, uh, to which I'm super grateful for. Uh, Phil's whole, held numerous roles with University Christian Fellowship. Uh, he's, a, he's a Cal grad. Go Bears. Uh, he's hold, held numerous campus staff positions throughout the Bay Area, San Francisco State, Lindy College, Cal. Uh, he's been uh, Black Campus Ministry East Bay Area Director, our national Black Campus Ministry Director for the country. Uh, he's done different things. Most recently, I think he spends half his time with the InterVarsity Institute, which is kind of InterVarsity's external-facing organization that does training with churches, which Christian Layman has been a beneficiary of, uh, with nonprofits, and with other colleges and universities. When Phil shows up, he brings the joy of the Lord with him. Uh, he is a, a man who uh, embodies that, which I respect and inspired by. Phil shows up to your meeting, you know the spirit is not far behind, and I, I'm, I'm, uh, it, it's a great opportunity to work with us. So the, the other part of his job is uh, he serves uh, the Pacific region with me uh, as an associate regional director. Uh, Phil's an artist. Uh, I feel like artists are people who uh, can see and describe the reality of God, so which maybe not everyone sees, paints, brings a, a picture of reality that benefits Church, inspires the church, helps the church love God more deeply. So these are a couple of things that I appreciate about Phil that Phil is welcoming you up. I will say a blessing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for your uh, outpouring. Uh, give us what we need to hear from you. Uh, anoint Phil, consecrate his words, his space, his time. You honor me. Oh, come on. Isn't he cool? That's good. Thank you, Colin, for those kind words. Kind words. Words I hope to live up to as I come before you today. Christian Layman, what's up? Oh, this is going down. I can't do that. It is so good, so good to be here this morning. It is so good to see friendly faces. Most of you I don't know, but there are some of you I've known for a long time. I met John Koyama when we were undergraduates at UC Berkeley. I've known John longer than I've known my wife and Joycelyn. 
and I haven't seen him in ages, and he came over there and said hi to me, and my heart went flutter, flutter, pitter, patter. It was a very cool thing. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Here, I'll use my outdoor voice and not my indoor voice. I won't rumble at you. It is so good to be here. Christian Layman, this is a really cool church. A really cool church. I've known of your church for decades. I don't get here very often, but uh, it's a privilege to be able to preach before you. You love Jesus. That helps me. That helps the community. I know it helps your people too. I'm glad. That's really, really cool. But uh, as I work with InterVarsity, this is my 36th year with InterVarsity. People ask me if I'm a lifer with InterVarsity. And I say, well, I'm not dead yet. So I don't know. But we'll see how it plays out. But uh, it is great to be here. I appreciate Pastor Ben. I appreciate your, your, introdu- your, uh, your welcoming here. And I've had different interactions with many of you and old friends. And this is just really cool. So this isn't supposed to be a filled love fest. But know that my heart is filled with joy as I come before you. It's great to be here. So in her book, Just Us, An American Conversation. MacArthur Prize-winning poet and essayist Claudia Rankin explores race in America. Let's start with a heavy subject. Let's just get right into it. She talks about race in America. talks about its pervasiveness, its insidiousness, its hidden ramifications, and then talks of, and has stories that relate to white people, black people, Latino people, and praise God, Asian people, dealing with issues of race, and First Nations people too. Each chapter begins with a story, and then she goes through facts and figures. She's a poet, and so one side is kind of like this, oh, la, 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 side, and the other side, she has all these facts and figures that kind of lay out what she's talking about. And then she always ends every chapter with confusion. Because she says, okay, so these things make sense, but what about this? And what about this? And what about that? And she doesn't always have questions. I mean, doesn't always have answers, I mean. Doesn't always have answers. And this book is literally a bookification of a conversation about race in America. People's stories, facts and figures make sense of things, but then sometimes it's like, oh, we don't know. Trying to work this thing out. It's kind of confusing. Things aren't answered yet. Conversations happen like that, especially like for a long time when you have old friends and you keep talking and you never quite work it out. But part of the working out is the continuation of the conversation. And she talks about this as an African-American, middle-aged poet who's in a racially mixed marriage. That's her. And what about me? Okay. Born, raised in Oakland. Anybody here born and raised in Oakland? Yeah, okay. Hey, go, go, go. You know, went to, went to Oakland High School, you know, that kind of thing. Just, just, like, just like my daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't introduce my family. I'm sorry. I am such a jerk. Janine, wave your hand. There's Janine. And then Janine brought her friend Taylor. Taylor, raise your hand. Go wave your hand, Taylor. And then that's my son, Arthur. Arthur, wave. There's Arthur. 
There we go. My, 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 my wife is away at uh, American Academy of Religion, Society for Biblical Literature. Some of you brainiacs know what that is. It's a big gathering they have every year. And so she's in Denver. And so I'm, 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 I'm uh, taking care of the cats. I'm herding the cats this weekend to make sure everything is okay. Um, but what about me? So I got a family. My family have friends, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, um, I grew up going to a Methodist church here in Oakland. You know, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist preacher, went to a Baptist seminary. But I'm a Baptist with Methodist roots, so, you know, they, they fight each other, but, you know, I try to work it out. You know, um, I, I express my joy and calling in ministry and with God through my family through Allen Temple Baptist Church. We're new members. They've only been there for 26 years, you know. Um, you know, uh, and then I'm involved with this little group called the Hoover Foster Resident Action Council. And it's, it's about 10 of us. And over near 32nd and Market Street between San Pablo out there, we're just trying to be, you know, it's a secular organization, but I'm a Christian person. So I bring Christian values in. And we're just trying to, be justice, and be righteousness, and be goodness, and be love in that little part of Oakland. Uh, and that's how I try to live out my salvation with fear and trembling, as God works it out in me and through me. I, you, I was given the privilege of talking about race and the Bible to you today. And I am a little scared. I'm a little scared. I've talked to black congregations about race and justice. Everybody talks to white congregations about race and justice. But now we're having a different conversation. I'm an African-American talking to an Asian-American congregation about race and justice. Ooh, that gets kind of hairy. It gets kind of hairy, you know. I'm a little scared, you know. I've been praying about this for weeks. So I ask you that if there's the word of God going forth and there's something you believe, may it go into your heart and may it affect your activity and how you think. When I say something that's completely irrelevant, don't worry about that. And when I say something completely wrong, please have grace on me. I'm still working this out. I'm like this book, working through the conversation. We're in this together. I'm not here very often, but I know some of you. And there's a conversation about race and Jesus that we're having together. This is a continuation and a furtherance of that conversation. Because the Spirit of God is prodding our hearts, asking us the question, is justice, is it justice to think only of just us? Is it justice to think of only just us? us. So we're going to journey together for a little while. And, you know, sermons have, I'm a Baptist preacher, I got to have a title. And the title is Just Us? Racial Justice Reflections from Amos and Elsewhere. That's a long one. I'll say it one more time. Just Us? Racial Justice Reflection from Amos and Elsewhere. Now, you, you've been going through this passage a lot, haven't you? Have you? I'm looking for feedback. Have you, you've seen it? You know, and, and, and you've had like really, like, like last week's because she was, oh my gosh, she was excellent. You know, Pastor Ben, he's great too. So they've all exposited the life out of this. Pa- no, no. 
They're exposited the life into this passage. Not out. That's, that, sounds, that sounds bad. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. But uh, uh, so I, I'm, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. You've heard this before. I hate. I despise your festival. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your song. I will not listen to the melodies of your heart. But let justice roll down like water. And righteousness like an ever-flowing. I'm glad that one of the lenses that you're looking through as you meditate and think about this passage is through the the lens of race and ethnicity. There are all kinds of things. You you talked about gender. You've looked at different lenses. And uh, a a quick prayer, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or anything, but a quick prayer for sexual orientation. A horrific thing happened this morning in Colorado. Five dead as a shooter came into a, a uh, uh, LGBTQ dance bar and shot people. Five dead and 16 wounded. Dear Jesus, bring healing and wholeness in that situation, O oh God. We pray, God, for the one so twisted that would think that killing would be an answer to anything, oh God. And Lord, help we, your people, bring a message of hope and healing and love in such a horrific situation. You're the God of justice and the God of love. Manifest your justice and love in that situation. In your name, amen. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. They're talking about the Jordan River. You know this, you know the old song, right? Deep river, my home is over Jordan. Deep river, Lord, I want to cross over into campground. All these songs about the Jordan River, the Jordan River, the Jordan River. You know, how does it roll? You know, is it the river they're talking about? Flowing like an ever-flowing stream? In the summer of 1976, I was a Boy Scout. And we were at our annual two-week camp in the uh, California Trinity National Forest. It's like four and a half hours north of here. Uh, While we were there, we always take three days to go on a bivouac hike with with backpacks, and we hike in our food and things like that and sleep on the ground. So we were all together. We spent about an hour hiking on this uh, asphalt road and then three hours on this dirt trail up through all kinds of things, a little bit of little muddy river we passed through. And then we ended in this, on this granite slab with these granite rocks up where we made a fire, 
you know, ate dinner, Boy Scouts sang Boy Scout songs, Boy Scouts always sing songs. And then um, we called it a night. At first, it began to rain lightly. This is before you had like apps to know like what the weather was and things like that. So uh, uh, it rained lightly, and so we just kind of cuddled up, and we had our ponchos. We kind of covered our ponchos over our, our cloth, you know, our cloth uh, sleeping bags. And, and then it began to rain heavily. So our patrol leader said, okay, roll up your sleeping bags. So we rolled up our sleeping bags and put all our gear together, and we huddled on, on these big, huge granite rocks leaning against them to wait for the rain to stop. This is June. Then it began to snow. And we were not prepared for snow. 12, 13-year-old boys, maybe 14-year-old boys, a couple of adults, all in shorts, thinking we'd hike along for a couple of days. So we got the, we got the call, go back. We're heading back home. Now, we spent those two or three hours on that dirt road I mean, on that dirt trail and went through mud. Now, what was eight hours ago a little muddy area, one point turned into a flash flood, raging, imposing. We heard it before we got there. It was like from that wall to that wall. And it was just water rushing through because of the rain and the snow and all these rocks. And there were like trees that had gotten into it. It was very, very imposing. First, the leaders went across with a rope. And then the rest of us would journey across, holding on to this rope to make sure that we did not fall into the water. Some boys fell in the water. We got them out or they got out on their own. And we eventually hiked in cold and wetness and rain and snow and got back to the asphalt road where there was a truck that ferried us back to camp. I will never, in my 12-year-old mind, it feels like it was just this huge flash flood river big loud cold imposing powerful now the jordan river does not typically get that way but that's the image that judah had when they thought about the river. And there's one place at the, you know, where the Jordan comes off Mount Hermon where it gets kind of loud and kind of big and billowy and there's, a, there's the only waterfall in Israel there, that kind of thing. And that's the image that this passage speaks of. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Big, loud, cold, strong, imposing, powerful. That's what justice is supposed to be like. So it begs the question, have you experienced justice this way? Have you experienced, especially, you know, my, my talk, racial justice in this way? I don't always experience racial justice in this way. I don't. I don't. You know? Um, 
you know, like in America, there's a significant uh, wealth gap, race-wise. Asian, white, Latino, black, native. 100,000 on the average per family, on the average. I mean, mean, because everybody doesn't get that. And then down below is below like 45. Big gap, big gap. Big gap. Big river? Imposing river? You know, we have a significant political influence gap in Congress. White population is 60% of the country, 77% of Congress. Black population is 13% of the U.S. population, 13% of Congress. Native population, 1%, 1%. Latino population in the U.S., 19% of our country is somewhat Latino in some way, form, or fashion. But only 9% Congress. Asian population, 6% 6% of the U.S. population. Just 3% Congress. Huh. You know, politically, people of color make up 90% of population growth in North Carolina. North Carolina has had all this growth. 90% of that growth has been people of color. Texas, of all its growth, 95% of its growth have been people of color. Some of these states have new congressional peoples because of redistricting and stuff like that. Yet none of the uh, the new districting have been people of color. They've not been, even though people of color have represented the growth. Now, I understand, St. Phil, just because you happen to be a person of color does not mean that they will represent the needs and aspirations of people in color. You know, I agree. It's not always there. But it is still true that sometimes when you're part of a particular uh, grouping of people, that you see things in a different way, and you have a different perspective. I'll talk about that a little bit later. So, now you know this. U.S. racially motivated hate crimes are on the rise. Yes, most hate crimes are against black people. But you know that hate crimes against Asian people has gone up 399% in one year. Horrific. Horrific. You know? Stop API hate. I know, I know you know that. I know you know that already. You know, Russell Dung, Dr. Dung, bless his heart. Wonderful man. Wonderful man. You know, uh, harassment is up. Physical assault is up. You know, where there's avoidance issues, shunning issues, coughing and spitting, all these anti-API incidents happening. Not just in the boondocks way out somewhere, but in our beloved San Francisco and my, our beloved Oakland and cities that we love and work and thrive in. Online conduct, misconduct, job discrimination, graffiti. 90%... I mean, not 90%, I'm sorry. 60% of all these hate crimes are against women. God help us. And the list goes on and on. In terms of the broader issues of racial justice and housing, jobs, education, health care. So is justice rolling down like waters? Is it really this ever-flowing stream? No, I mean, I'm a preacher. There is hope. There is hope. 
Because clearly the scriptures are for ethnic justice. Now, to be technical, the scriptures don't talk about racial justice. You know why? Because race didn't exist when the scriptures were written. That construct happened in the 1600s. But ethnic, ethnicity did. Ethnos, people, was very common all throughout the Old Testament and all through the New Testament. God spoke about it all the time, how God related to the people and how God wanted the people to be together. Paul's letter to the church in Galatia talked about, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. He was talking about ethnicity, ethnos and that. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In another letter, when Paul was talking about God's judgment, he kind of in a backwards way said that, you know, it doesn't make a difference. He said that God shows no favoritism. God shows no partiality. Even Peter said that when when. Things are falling from the sky, and he's hungry and that kind of thing. He said, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that God is showing me that God shows no partiality between people, especially in the area of ethnos, of ethnicity, that God has us all together. Another, and then one more passage I want to talk about just for a moment. In Acts 6.1, where God shows how God thinks about ethnicity. This is an ethnic passage in the Bible. I'll just read the one verse from it. Acts 6.1. Now, during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Acts 6.1. Oh, my gosh. They're having an ethnic fight in the early church. The church is growing. Things are going great. All of a sudden, all the people are coming to faith. But all of a sudden... The Hebrews, these are the people from Jerusalem who spoke um, uh, mostly, uh, what did they speak? They spoke, what? They, spoke, uh, they spoke Hebrew. Oh, yeah, they spoke Hebrew. There we go. Yes, they spoke Hebrew. Are, are having disputes with the Jews who came who were part of the diaspora from other places who spoke Greek who were culturally different from them. All of a sudden, these two peoples are having conflict with each other and trying to figure out how they're going to work this out. Now, some great things happen in this passage. We can study it later. But what's interesting about this passage is that it's the people who are experiencing the problems, the challenges, the misses, maybe even the, the oppression. You're not feeding my aunt. She's missing the food. But we didn't know. Well, that's why I'm telling you about it. They're the ones who bring up the issue. They're the ones who bring up the issue. Uh, and that's true, as a side note, for all of us. You know, um, I have a very intelligent, godly, gorgeous wife. She helps me see and understand issues of gender and misogyny. I miss it. Sometimes I think, this day has gone great. Oh, that was a wonderful meeting. And she says, yeah, and so that one guy made that comment about X... And I go, oh, I missed it. He goes, yeah, you missed it because you're a guy. And she's partially right. I missed it because I'm a guy. And so 
So I think about some of these ethnic issues and even gender issues and all these other kind of issues. If you don't see it when it happens, it's okay. The question is, when someone who does see it, do you listen to them? And then do you respond accordingly as God leads? Are you a part of the positive change? You don't have to see it first. But the question is, when the Hebrews, when, when, the, when, the, uh, when, the, um, when the Greeks say, hey, our widows aren't getting food as much as they should, you respond in a way that brings God understanding. God works through these types of challenging ethnic issues. He opens up doors that couldn't be predicted. God does new things as we move in this direction. So again, I ask the question, is, is, is justice rolling down like water? Is it this ever-flowing stream? Is God calling us to not just to think just us, but to move into spaces of redemptive, life-changing, societal-changing, biblical justice? Dr. Cornell West, is famous for saying that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. And when we love people, we become people of justice. Maybe we won't see them every day, but we set systems and policies and ways together that show love in what we do. It's a hard journey. It's a hard call to be a people of racial justice. It's an imperative call. It's an important call. It's the kind of call of why Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected again. That's a pretty hard call, too, to raise from the dead. It don't happen very often. But Jesus did that to show us that even in times of racial challenge and racial strife, that we can believe him for it and be a people who step into the complexity of it. And when we step into the complexity of it, especially together, and especially by his power, we see change happen. Some of you have been here for a long time in the Bay Area. In March of 1991, so now I'm going to talk about some hard stuff. So... I'm bringing this up because I want to live in the complexity of it with you. In 1991, in Southern California, a 51-year-old Korean shop owner, Sun Yadu, got into an altercation with a 15-year-old African-American girl, Latasha Harlan. Du shot Harlan's in the back and killed her. After that incident, the judge decided that uh, for her conviction, she sentenced her, the judge, to five years probation, 400 hours of community service, and $500 of restitution. The L.A. black community and a lot of black communities were up in arms about that. This little girl was shot. Now, it was a challenging situation. Please hear me say that. It's a complex situation. They thought, how much is this little girl's life worth in this situation? There were riots in Southern California. But you know what happened in Oakland? Korean leaders 
and black leaders in Oakland got together and talked about it. Korean pastors and black pastors got together. My pastor emeritus, Dr. J. Alfred Smith, was a part of those discussions. And they sat down, and they talked, and they prayed, and they talked about the heaviness of the situation, the heaviness of their hearts, talked about justice, but also talked about love. And so after that incident, there were riots and fights in L.A. and in Southern California and across the nation. But Oakland was quiet. Because in a really challenging situation, people decided to express their love publicly and share about what was going on and talk about what does it mean for us to love one another in challenging times. Now, I think that was a trickle of the Spirit. That was a really complex situation between two prominent communities. And they decided to love and figure this out together, not tear one another down. Challenging and complex. And the work continued. The challenging, complex work. I am hurt and ashamed that on the eighth, you know, all the hate crimes, many, not all, not all, but, but more hate crimes that I want to count against Asian American elders are done by people who look like me. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart, you know? Asian elders should be able to walk through Chinatown, a place I've been my entire life, with freedom and joy, and not worry that some kid's going to assault them. That's horrific. You've got to work that out. And we've got to fight against the evil trope that says that black people are thugs and Asian people are, 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 are model minorities, and this is bad. Because that's what American racism and white supremacy wants to do with that. It's a complex issue. It's a very complex issue. It doesn't have easy answers. But I think when our communities start working those things out, rivers become more, start showing up. You know? One more challenging one. You know, I, I talked about hydro community organizing, and I'm a part of the Hoover Foster Resident Action Council. We gave away turkeys and hams earlier this week. Uh, we sponsored it from one to three. It was called Eat, Drink, and Be Thankful. I'm the treasurer, so I run the money. I know how much it all costs and stuff like that. Um, there's a group of people who came early in the morning. They got in line, and uh, because they got there early, they get the hams and turkeys first. That's fine. That's fair. But then they went around the corner. This was reported to me. They, they changed clothes, and they went and got hams and turkeys a second time and a third time. And, my, and the, the, I wasn't there for it, but the people in my group said, all those Asian people just came and just stole all the food from all the black people. You know? And, uh, uh, and you know, I have a little bit of finesse, and I said, I'm not sure. There's ethnic involved with this, but I think it's a little more complex than that. I think this is people who are in rough situations trying to figure out how to make it. It has an ethnic aspect to it, but this is just poverty with poverty fighting each other. 
trying to work these things through. Let's not make this a racial issue. It may look like one, but it's more complex than that. We don't want to stereotype people. We want to work this out. Is it complex? Yes! It's very complex. It's very challenging. But if we don't work these things out, the river won't happen. The ever-flowing stream won't show up. If we decide to fall into the stereotypes and the tropes and evilness that's pulled, that, God, that, 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 that the devil pulls us through, if we don't decide to see each other in our wholeness and in, our, in God's righteousness, we won't work these things. I'm talking about these hard stories. I'm bringing them up here with you because I think I can bring it up with you. You called me to come preach here. I'm going to preach about hard stuff. But we're in this together, okay? Okay? We're in this together. We're in this together. We're in this together. We've got to follow Jesus together. We've got to work these issues through together. We've got to be righteousness together. A Christian leader of note wrote, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught and an inescapable network of neutrality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. So the Spirit of God prods our hearts and asks us this question. Is it justice to think only just us? And I answer, and we answer together, no, that's not justice. We can't just think just that. We have to wade into some really complex issues and some complex problems. The good news is, there was this guy a couple of thousand years ago who preached a message of hope, of resurrection, and kingdom. And he lived... And then for many reasons, both political and spiritual and social, he was killed. But then, to show that his message had efficacy, the God he served rose him from the dead. And he came back and said, aha! What I say and do is real. Follow me. And life will never be the same. I follow that guy. I think Jesus has something good for me. And as we work together, Christian layman, to work these things through, as you follow God's leading, I look forward to a wide, loud, raging, imposing, nourishing, life-giving river that will flow through you, flow through me, flow through our city, for the betterment of all. Amen?